Welcome to the show. I am your host, Todd Dallas-Lamb, and you're listening to On The Clock. On The Clock is a venture with the Strategos Podcast Network, where we feature an array of guests to dive into all things education. We hope you enjoy. Welcome back to On The Clock with Todd Dallas-Lamb. I uh, am your host, and today we have as our guest, uh, Superintendent Mark Benigni from Meriden Public Schools up in Connecticut. Uh, Mark, you're our most northeasterny superintendent we have interviewed uh, yet. That's got to be an honor in and of itself. For sure. Thanks, Todd. Thanks for having me on. That's great. Um, wanted to, you know, one of the great things about America, in my judgment, is that Connecticut gets to do it a little differently than uh, some of our other. Um, our other superintendents that we've met with over the last month uh, or two. Um, you know, we've, we've spoken to Dallas ISD's superintendent, Michael Hinojosa. Uh, last week, we, we spoke from some folks, you know, from the sort of the, uh, from the Pittsburgh area. Um, Anthony Hamlet was one of our guests. Connecticut is a totally different state and would dying to know how you have navigated the last really 12 months. Um, You know, we're starting to get into that phase where we're starting to remember how this all went down in the very early stages uh, a little more than a year ago. Wanted to check in on how your district is doing with regards to reentry. Sure. Um So for this school year, we've been K-8 all in every day since before Labor Day, and parents had the choice to make. They either chose a distance learning program that we felt was pretty comprehensive, or they chose in-person learning. And uh, for us, about 65% of our K-8 population chose in-person learning, and they've been going to school every day since before Labor Day. We've cohorted our middle schools, similar to our elementary schools. So the same 15 to 20 students are together all day long. Uh, And we've put some safety modifications in place, traffic patterns, uh, making sure that we have plexiglass shielding for the the teachers, separating desks as far as we can um, from one another, and really trying to make sure that students understood the importance of washing their hands, wearing their masks, and watching their distance. And while we've had to quarantine and we've had positive cases, we've never had to shut down one of our schools. Our high school model, Todd, has been a little different. That's been an every other day model, uh, similar to a college setting where you're going to class a couple times a week. And that's uh, just because we really couldn't quarantine those students. Uh, uh, it was very difficult to separate uh, high school students. We have freshmen taking class with juniors and seniors, and they're all over the building. So we've reduced the density by having students attend every other day. Well, what I'm fascinated because, you know, while my 15-year-old is allowed to play soccer, you know, all the time, right? Like there's a lot of hypocrisies to this whole experience we've lived in the last year. And I, I'm wondering, like, why the K, why K eight only? I would, I bet you, you had some ninth grade moms and dads saying, "Why the heck is my younger kid going, and why can't my older kid going?" Is that based on the science of thinking that kids that age aren't really moving the disease around, or is it more than that? So we definitely leaned heavily on our health director and our health professionals and, and followed their guidance. We weren't making these decisions on our own. Sure. It really came down to our high schools. Like, how do you separate? So our middle school, my son's in eighth grade. He's with the same 17 students all day long, every day, and teachers rotate in. And we've asked teachers 
to teach the way they used to stay in the front of the room, be behind a plexiglass shield and, and separate at a high schools. There's no way of doing that. So um, we took the density. So if 35% chose distance learning that left us with 65% and then we cut that in half every other day. Um, so now you're only having about 30 to 35% of the student population in at the high school that's allowed some distancing. And we have done every sport, uh, pushed the limits as much as we could there and really uh, made sure that our students had the opportunity for music and sports programs as well, which we think are critical components of the school experience. Absolutely. And you said that about 65% of those K through eight students and their families took you up on getting back to school. What, what logic did you make or what assumptions do you have with regards to who didn't come and why, why were those reasons? Was it well, compromised family members, some students I sus- suspect and have suspected for quite a while, uh, like the idea of just learning from home? Uh, or maybe it's a blend of, of those and other things. I think you hit all the key points. I think what we tried to do is have our health director and assistant health director be the ones providing the information. We invited them to board meetings. They took open-ended questions from parents and families. I think for some families, it was their unique circumstances. They're in a a smaller house or residency. They have a a grandparent living with them. Um, And for some, I think, look, they've been waiting for this opportunity. For them, distance learning sounded great. You know, they... They love to be online, and that was probably a a better avenue for their own personal learning. And for others, I think it was just the fear of the unknown. Like, what does this virus really mean? And I think we're seeing over time where it was 65% initially, now we're well over 70% because we've asked students and families to choose to come back or to choose distance learning at a natural break. So a term, now we accommodated them throughout, but we said, hey, here's the natural breaks. If you're going to make a change, this is when you should let us know. And the families have been great about that. And we're seeing more and more come back as uh, time has passed. It is an interesting observation. And I'm dying for one day to see a study on, we all have these people in our life. Like you have that, that uncle who just feels like that this doesn't exist and is ready to go fly to Vegas tomorrow. And then you have maybe even his, his, your, your aunt, his wife, who's doesn't want anybody from anywhere to come anywhere into their home. And so I can only imagine that as a school district uh, leader, as you, as you are, you know, you're, you're dealing with that times a million with regards to teachers and food service workers and bus drivers. Everybody has their own, sort of uh, level of insecurity on this thing. Yeah, and I think our job is to respect that people do have differing opinions yep. about it and understand that their concerns are real, they're valid, and then create systems that can work for everyone. You know, we've always said that if you're uncomfortable, the distance learning option that we're providing to you, there's going to be some synchronous learning, there's going to be some asynchronous learning. If you're a high school student, don't worry, there's going to be opportunities to take advanced placement and early college experience courses. It may not line up perfectly, but we're going to make sure that uh, we provide you with a fairly comprehensive program because we wanted those families to know what they were choosing for distance learning up front. And we wanted to make sure that it was a quality program there. But we've been very proud uh, that we've been able to run in-person learning since uh, before Labor Day, and we have yet to shut down a school. And I think it definitely is the, the working relationship we have, not only with the health officials, but also with our unions. We've been in this together. We created the plans together. Um, and not everything went perfect. I mean, there's been stumbles along the way, but we've owned that together and we've been committed to making sure that 
we give our families and most importantly, our students that choice. You know, before we 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 went to record this, you were mentioning um, the really high number of parents who've who've gone to parent teacher conferences virtually and the thought that you may not take that away. I mean, certainly there are things that have happened the last year that are never going to go away. Is that, would that be one of them? That would certainly be one. I mean, we had our highest attendance on parent teacher conferences, doing them virtually. And it would make you wonder why haven't we always offered that as an option? I think there'll be some things that folks will never question again, the need for devices, the need for access, the need for single sign-on, the need for key digital content partners. Like those now are just understood at necessities of a good quality education, products that help personalize, engage students. I think those things are going to be, you know, it's going to be commonplace everywhere. I think we as a district were in a decent position because we were a fully one-to-one district. We had addressed a lot of the access. We already had a single sign-on solution and we had great digital content partners. And the digital community definitely came together and offered a lot of free products and trials, but it's also not easy to implement new things in the midst of a pandemic. So we leaned on our key digital content partners uh, we saw what expansion opportunities they had available, and we tried a few new things along the way, but we didn't want to overwhelm our students, staff, and families. And for many of our families, they were becoming the teacher at home. So we wanted to make sure that we were providing support networks for them throughout this process as well. You know, we share this podcast around the country um, with a lot of other superintendents and a lot of other stakeholders in education. Uh, it occurred to me as I was thinking through this earlier today. I've been to Connecticut a lot. I actually have family up there, but um, it's a really diverse state. Um, it, it, it doesn't get a lot of ink. And I don't think people pack up the family roadster and go to Connecticut to see one particular thing. Tell me about your district. Who are the folks that live there and what's the, uh, what's the economy like? Sure. Uh, Meriden, Connecticut is centrally located. It's a small urban district, two hours from Boston, two hours from New York City. We have about 8,500 students uh, in 12 schools and three programs. We have eight elementary schools, two middle schools, and two high schools. Very diverse population. 75% of our students identify as non-white. 77% of our students qualify for free and reduced price meals. However, we're a universal free breakfast and lunch district. So everyone gets a free breakfast and lunch. Everyone who wants one gets a free breakfast and lunch. I would say that our Our community believes in public education, really sees public education as the great equalizer. They're supportive of our system. Um, You know, we just have a lot of great families, but I'd say our diversity is one of our greatest strengths and uh, we do all we can to maximize uh, on that strength. And on when you guys were down and students weren't coming in and you were probably having to get pretty creative with feeding not only students, but I'm guessing maybe even the families as well. Sure. We ran a food program since last March, um, and our food service staff have been amazing, truly heroes throughout this whole process. When others, we didn't know what this virus meant, they were out there making sure that people were fed, and especially our our youngsters. And um, we'll provide meals over the vacation weeks. We'll provide weekend meals. Um, They've really done so much to support our families, and our families have been very appreciative. What what devices did you, did you already have a device? It's funny you mentioned this because I know superintendents have been fired for pushing devices, right? Yeah. Around the country. You guys were already set in that regard. 
we were set in that regard and we really worried less about which device. So we piloted tablets, we piloted iPads, Chromebooks, laptops. I'd say primarily now we're a Chromebook district with some laptops um, at the high school setting. And I care less about which device, more about connectivity and making sure that it's ease of use, ease of access for students and and for staff. And what, What's next? You've got a lot of federal money coming. What, what is, you know, we've talked about all the positives and it sounds like you guys have really um, managed this as well as it could be expected. What, what are you looking at to fill now that you know what you know, you have to maybe assume some students are going to stay home. Um, What are the new realities and new acquisitions you're looking to, to, to fill? I think we're always questioning like, So teaching and learning is still teaching and learning. How can we do that better in a virtual world, but also how can we do that better in person? I think what digital content really has enriched the learning experience for students and helped move the needle for students, but also for staff. I think we're looking at, you know, just as we've given students more voice and choice, how can we give our teachers more voice and choice in their own learning and their own professional growth? And I think this whole pandemic and this digital transformation that every district has had to undergo uh, has opened up opportunities for our teachers really to recognize where are their gaps? Where would, where, where would they like to find that own professional support? And we've seen our, our teachers really taking the lead here. Some teachers were very comfortable with this technology and it's kind of second nature to them. But we also had to recognize that just like our students, our staff are all at different levels and make sure that we're, um, cognizant of that, but also supportive of their needs as well. So I have to ask you, I hope this is an uncomfortable question, Mark. There's a, there's a, a former <laughs> assistant superintendent from your district who's now getting rides from like Secret Service. He's a secretary of education. Is that the same Dr. Miguel Cardona that I knew from your district years ago? hundred percent, Todd. He might have even been at a workshop or a conference presenting uh, with me. Uh, Dr. Cardona um, had been commissioner. He was assistant superintendent here in Meriden, but had previously been our teacher evaluation specialist, which was uh, the first position he had at Central Office. He was a elementary principal where he did a great job. And when we were going through a bunch of reforms, we one of those reforms was teacher evaluation. And Miguel led that charge for us. And then Uh, Shortly after that, became assistant superintendent. He'd spent a year and a half as commissioner of education in Connecticut. So basically a a full year of dealing with the pandemic as commissioner and then was tapped uh, for to be the next U.S. secretary of education. And you're going to have someone who believes in public education, but also has seen how a district can transform itself with the use of technology and and, uh, really uh, giving students greater voice and choice, too. It really is. I think at, 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 at its best, that position is a great bully pulpit to really um, talk about education. I think far too few um, of our superintendents, and I worked for one of them, uh, have really used it to really think through that value of communicating the value of education. Um, it, because it's hard, it's political, and it's a job where 
typically you're dealing with a, an initiative that the president wants you to push uh, or um, funding, which is always an issue, right? So, uh, you know, it's my hope. I, I can't wait. I've not heard him speak yet, um, but it's really early. And uh, I don't even know that he, I don't even know what the status is of, of him being in place yet. I guess he's been approved already. Yeah, he's approved. He's in place. And he has presented as U.S. Secretary of Ed at a few conferences and workshops. They did a Safe Schools Reopening Summit where he played a part in that. Um, but it is funny when you joke about the Secret Service. That, uh, he has six Secret Service folks around yeah. the city of Meriden. Um, you know, it's amazing. Like you when he walks into the, any room in that building and it's six floors, right, or seven floors, you know, everybody stands up. <laughs> it's incredible. Um, I, I'm sure you're going to be asked to be on some sort of commission or panel one of these days uh, on his behalf. I, I really wish him well um, in, in his, his next endeavors. Um, final things we always talk about on this program. Uh, you have to give us uh, a place to eat in your district. What's the locals place and anything you're watching right now um whether it be sports tonight, as we're taping, this is the final of the NCAA. Connecticut is a great basketball sport or anything you're uh, obsessing on on Netflix these days. Okay. So if you're going to come to Meriden, Connecticut, we're yep. known for our steamed cheeseburgers. You need to visit Ted's or LeMay's to get a great steamed cheeseburger. Um, a little healthier than your traditional burger, but a, a Meriden tradition. Wow. Def definitely. I'm just so glad that sports are back on. And even for my own children, I, I can just see their excitement and enjoyment and their release and getting them outside, yeah. to, whether it's soccer, whether it's baseball, let's go, let's play ball. Um, so that's been helpful. And, and on Netflix, you know, I never was a big Netflix person, but I would have to say, you know, and people laugh when I say the series that, well, if I'm going back watching Breaking Bad and Ozarks, they're saying, geez, you've missed the train had left there already. Um, but I watched Kingdom, which I thought was pretty good. Um, and we're watching Bloodline right now. which I just got to season two and it's starting to get exciting. And people said, you can't be so impatient, Mark. You have to let these things develop. So I'm trying to learn some patience in this process as well. Well, that's great. Um, you know, I, I, I want to echo your thoughts on getting those kids back to sports. I, I know a lot has been mentioned about the mental health of students and the concern uh, for what they've gone through and not being have, having those outlets. I find it personally mentally healthy to watch my kid play. Yes. Um, uh, so the adults can use mental health, I think, as well. Definitely. We're concerned about the mental health of our staff, of our families. But also, I just want to say our students have truly been amazing throughout this process. No other generation of students had to go through what these students have done. And they continue to be leaders and, and an inspiration to me. Well, I, I just would echo that, you know, th this is a pretty amazing country that we've adapted to this, I think, really well in the sense that if you'd have asked me a year ago, uh, what's the economy going to look like? How many jobs are going to be lost? Uh, I, I would not have given you a really positive answer. It looked very, very dark to me heading into the days ahead. And, and yet I think we've all gotten a little bit better at everything, right? Like, uh, to, in, in advance of this podcast, I had to, without the help of a 20-something, <laughs> set it all up. I, I, I have to give some credit to COVID for that, right? Like, we've all gotten better with the technology. We've all learned to adapt and do things a little differently than we might have done. Uh, well, I have to thank you so much, uh, Mark. Um, and please tell our listeners um, 
where they could reach you on social media uh, if they want to make some comments or have any questions. We'd love to be able to share that with our folks. Sure. I mean, I start by just emailing me because that's what I'm going to get all the time. And that never leaves me. Email me at mark, M-A-R-K dot Benigni, B-E-N-I-G-N-I at Meriden, M-E-R-I-D-E-N-K-1-2 dot O-R-G. That's the best way to reach me. And I'd love if you have questions about our model, anything we're doing here in the district, i uh, love to chat. Well, Mark, I look forward to a 2002 where your only worries are calling snow days or not. Let's have remote learning days and keep the learning going. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it. Mark Benigni, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Good luck to everyone. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of On The Clock. If you want to learn more about the show, please visit www.strategosgroup.com. Please consider subscribing on your podcast streaming platform so you don't miss out on our next episode. And until next time, I'm Todd Dallas-Lamb, signing off.